Hello, and welcome to Of The People. I am Robert Chernin. Thank you so much for joining us again. And welcome to the 10th anniversary of Black Lives Matter. You guys might have missed that. This is a really important show we have today. We're going to talk about human trafficking, and we also, and with a gentleman who is a world-renowned expert in human trafficking, very important. And later on, Chairman Chris Ager, New Hampshire GOP, with some updates you won't want to miss. But I want to talk to you quickly about the whole concept of slavery, right? Black Lives Matter, 10 years, how's that all working for you guys? We talk so much about slavery in this country. It is such a divisive issue. Uh, 1619 project and all that social justice nonsense that really is all it's trying to separate us. But the issue of slavery has been with us since the start of the country. And really, the social justice warriors, so to speak, are concerned with past slavery and reparations and how to fix it because America was born on original sin, which frankly is crap and we all know that. But the issue of slavery is with us yet today. Human trafficking and human slavery is an abomination that is so under the radar, certainly within the Democratic administration as well, that we really need to focus on it because it should be the one thing, if we're really concerned about slavery, that joins us all together. And I, for one, have learned something I didn't know about how extensive human trafficking is and how pernicious it is and frankly, how evergreen it is. So if we're gonna talk about Black Lives Matter and all that nonsense, we should really talk about slavery, not what it was, but what it is today. So stay tuned, because we're gonna talk with Jaco Boyens, uh, a world-renowned expert in human trafficking, and I think you will be flabbergasted at what he has to say. Stay tuned, folks. Welcome to Of The People. We'll be right back. Hello, and welcome back to Of The People. And we're going to talk more about human trafficking. And joining us, Jaco Bouyens, entrepreneur, educator, author, TV personality, abolitionist, and most importantly, one of the leading voices on human trafficking, certainly in this country, if not the world. Mr. Bouyens, welcome to Of The People. Thank you so much. Honor to be here. And we're, and we're honored to have you. Correct me if I'm wrong. Didn't you also serve on the anti-trafficking uh, uh, council for the White House some years ago? Yeah, under the previous administration, absolutely. And, and that administration did incredible work. Um, but the first White House to really recognize child sexual exploitation and, and take a proactive approach with the, with the non-government organizations such as, as we are to really address the problem. And, and I don't want to get into the politics of different administrations, but at a high level, how is this administration doing with trying to combat human trafficking? And I know there are many layers to human trafficking, whether it's sex trafficking or labor trafficking or other things. But at a high level, are we doing as well? Are, you know, what can we do better? I mean, this is such an under the radar issue for most people. So any light you can help us shed on this for our listeners is, I think, so very important. Yeah, look, not politicize the issue because we, we go to save every child. We don't ask, you know, mm. what's the child's orientation or where are they from or even if the child agrees with me and my faith. It doesn't matter. Mm. But we also have to become intellectually honest in America again. We can't 
deny truth, absolute truth. And the truth is that the, that the current administration is doing practically nothing, almost nothing. I mean, acti- actually retroactively being destructive to some of the policies and pillars that were built over the last 10 years. Uh, so this current administration has set a precedent which then remember, when, when a federal administration sets a precedent, it trickles down into state government. And right. we're, seeing, we're seeing now the rollback of some safeguards that we fought for a decade for to be put in place in states like California that have now been destroyed, such as California canceling the sex offender registry. So you don't what? know when you buy Yeah, it's canceled. Cal- Gavin Newsom canceled the sex offender registry of California. So, so when you take a stance at, at, at a White House level, so goes the leadership, so goes the nation. And so you're giving liberty to some of these radical factions, maybe in state government, local government, independent school districts, to be radicalized. And it actually is very destructive for the fight against, against child sexual exploitation. Well, and that's one of the things people said that the, you know, that when um, the previous administration or in previous administrations, when they were separating children from their families, um, you know, not holding them in camps or things like that. Part of the point of that policy was to make sure that those kids were not being trafficked. And so they wanted to make sure that whatever adult they came over here with was actually a family member, that they actually belonged to them. And now uh, the Biden administration has apparently lost 85,000 undocumented children just into the country somewhere. I'm so glad you look again. We're just speaking to truth here. Here's the truth. President Obama deported more people than President Trump. President Trump is the president with the most focus on security and border and the only president in U.S. history that acknowledged that children are being sold for sex. He acknowledged that from the Oval Office. He formed task forces. He appropriated funding, brought the NGOs in and did incredible work. The cages. Mm. The cages that they said, you know, President Trump put children in, those facilities were built by President Obama as part of his deportation program. President Obama correctly took a child and a father, a supposed father, separated them for 45 minutes to an hour. You ask the same set of questions of both to corroborate the story, to see, is this child, in fact, this man's child? They reunite them. Trump reunited them. But you must at the border separate, interrogate, ask questions. None of that's happening. It's illegal mm. now by Trump, by, sorry, by Biden initiative. It's illegal for CBP on the border to question a man, to ask him whether what? it is his daughter or not. There's no questioning <gasps> going on. Zero. There's no questioning oh going on on the border. There's, there's no search, search and verify. There's no going. Most of the drugs, the, the fentanyl that's coming into the U.S. is coming in through a, the backpack of a human slave, of a sex traffic victim, because they're not allowed to search. They're not allowed to frisk. They, they'll call it apprehension. And I go to the border. I mean, goodness gracious, we were shot at at the border. We do a lot of work there. They'll bring them in. They'll sit them down. They'll make a phone call. A white bus shows up and they're transported to an NGO. Health and Human Services, by law, is supposed to examine every child that's crossing the border to see if they have a medical condition. Are they malnourished? None of that's happening. HHS is nowhere to be found on the border. You don't know what disease is coming in. Has the child been raped in transit through the Darien Gap? Because most of them have been. 
sexually mm-hmm. exploited, 60% of women and children are sexually wow. exploited prior to arriving to the border. None of that is happening. So to compare the two administrations from a, from a perspective of are we protecting human dignity and human life and are we preventing bad characters from sexually exploiting women and children, the previous administration, absolutely. The current administration, absolutely not. Well, and that's the thing that to me is so frustrating is, you know, you hear these politicians saying, oh, you know, they're coming from these devastated countries and we need to help everyone. And, oh, what is the, you know, what does the Statue of Liberty say? And you go, okay, yeah, that's cool and all, but you also are now incentivizing the very criminals right. that are right. that are guaranteed to harm the people that you say you're trying to help. Look, I'll say this to you. Can you imagine? And this is a f- number one. It's it's lies. The White House has not acknowledged not one time, not one time since 2020, that children are being sold for sex. Yet they have all the evidence. They know of all the children that have died, the bodies buried. They know of the rape trees. They understand. They know. They have all the intel. They look the other way because the political motive is different. It the, the end justifies mm. the means. If Karine Jean Pierre, <sighs> the press secretary of the United States government for for President Biden, if Karine Jean Pierre tomorrow morning stood up in the White House press room and said the following: President Joe Biden had an epiphany last night, and he came to the understanding that children are being sexually abused and raped and sold as commodities by the cartel. Do you know what would happen? The American public would demand for the border to be controlled and shut down. So they don't do it. They don't do it because it doesn't play into the cheap labor movement. It doesn't play into the Uh trilateral agreement that Joe Biden signed with Spain and Mexico, where he said we will take 7 million migrants before the end of his, his term. It doesn't play into the Davos crowd and the World Economic Forum movement of moving people. When people move, children are sexually exploited. That's why the Super Bowl is the number one sex trafficking day of the year. Because right, they pe- bring in the prostitutes and their, ch- exactly. their children. Right. So you're moving. So you're moving millions of people from 180 countries around the world into our country, and you're going to want the American people to believe that nobody is sexually exploited. Come on, come on. They know if they were to acknowledge it, the general public would demand action. You know, I grew up in New Jersey, and we have an expression uh, within the community that a fish rots from the head down, right? Mm. And that's really what, what you're talking about here. So, Yako, the thing that I find most incredulous, and there's just so many thoughts running through my head, is with all this talk about slavery and and the evils of slavery and the country was founded on slavery and all the things we talk about slavery, this is an issue you don't hear about. And just just to frame this for for our listeners, we're not just talking about sex slavery, right? There's there's organ um, harvesting. organ harvesting there's labor camps there's there's and again outside the united states there are you know youth child armies that are that people are or you know brought into the military to fight battles right mm-hmm. i guess my question to you because you are such an authority on this how pervasive is this in the u.s and give i you know look we, we talk about um you know lies damn lies and statistics so i don't want to get boiled down into <laughs> statistics here 
but I, but I'm trying to wrap my head around it because I did some obviously research before you came on as our guest, and I can't get any verifiable statistics on any of this. Yeah, you won't. The, the, the number one statistic organization that used to exist until two months ago, they lost their funding, was funded by the Fed in this realm. None of us in the, in the industry trust them. None of us. None of us trust the Polaris project. None of us. Because we know their numbers are not true. We trust numbers on the ground, numbers by law enforcement, reported cases, actual numbers of safe houses, children being needing restoration, numbers of clinical you know, therapy sessions. They tell you. Secretary Mayorkas tells you that they've lost 85,000 children. They've lost 240,000 children. They tell you two and a half wow. million has crossed. Over five million have crossed into this country. I'll give you an example. Where I'm, I, I'm, I'm closely partnered with Glenn Beck in the Blaze, and I'm closely partnered with, with the group at, at, you know, David Barton and the group at Restoring America's History. Are you right. aware that our founding fathers, we have a, a handwritten, uh, document here we talk about the constitution handwritten where adams is writing a rebuttal where he writes in hand saying we are coming here for all all caps men all caps to be equal the founding fathers came here to abolish slavery to walk away from a tyrant king right didn't come here to enslave people here's the truth for you history records this 10 million and i'm from south africa i lived through apartheid I served in the military mm. through apartheid. I was there with Nelson Mandela. I was. I know the lies. I understand what it looks like when racism reverse. I know that that does not bring healing to a country and a land when you swing the pendulum radically. 10 million Africans, 10 million African slaves left the continent of Africa over a 350 year period and migrated. The general consensus, if you ask an American, where did they go? They'll tell you North America. That is a lie. Do you know of the 10 million slaves only, and it's one is too many, let me reiterate, but of the 10 million, only 366,000 slaves landed in North America. 5 million went to Brazil. 3.5 million went to the Caribbean, went to South American countries. 366,000 slaves arrived in America over a 300-year period. Okay? Today. Wow. Only 300. Who taught you that in history? Nobody. No, I have never heard a number like that before. And, that and is like, they, they try to that's frame factual. it like it is uniquely American no, that Brazil, slavery existed. Brazil took most, more slaves went to the Dominican Republic in Haiti than came to the United States. They wow. went to the Caribbean. Okay. Some to Europe, but 360. Now look, one is too many. Okay. Obviously. But that's not obviously. what they taught you. Now take that number, 366,000 slaves from Africa over a 300-year period. Our nation is not even 300 years old, okay? We're, we're, we're coming in here in our 250 soon, okay? We have 500,000 slaves in America as we speak, but they're sex slaves. 500,000. We're surpassing in a year in slavery, sex slavery, sexual brokenness deviancy, forced fraud, coercion. We have more slaves in America today in one year than we accumulated in 300 years. How? That's how disproportionate this conversation has been. Well, and that's, people think it's, it, that it's, um, 
you know, oh, that only happens at the Super Bowl, or that could only be, um, apparently, Texas is the worst offender. Um, but even in little Vermont, uh, where people forget, you know, we're a border state, they broke up two sex trafficking rings uh, of Asian nationals in Chittenden County in the last two years. Yeah, so this look, is all over the country. Every single zip code of America has child sexual exploitation in it. And I want to make it very, very clear. I'm very thankful for Tim Ballard in The Sound of Freedom. Very thankful. Tim is a friend. That movie is doing exactly what it should be doing. It's bringing awareness. But that's not enough. People need to know what to do. How do we take action? The, mm. most, the most trafficked children sold for sex in the world are American-born children sold in America to American men. It's the American male that's driving the sex trafficking market around the world. We're the largest producer and consumer of pornography, which means we expect sexually exploitive content. We're the number one buying nation buying sex and we're the number one nation exploiting sex with children that's on us why do you think the cartel is bringing kids into the country because we buy right if well, if we were not buying children and we were buying dishwashers they would smuggle dishwashers into the country <laughs> they bring cocaine because we're the largest cocaine consuming nation in the world they bring what we buy so at some point the penny has to drop here in the GOP, in the church, outside of the church, in, in the, the Democratic Party, that there is a cultural dilemma in America where we have corrupted our culture with sexual immorality. And like Sodom and Gomorrah, like Pompeii, mm. like Rome, we are falling. And we're falling fast. And that's what our movie Sex Nation is all about, is these markers in our history where we have lost it. And how do we get it back? How do we take a father and say, this is the conversation you need to be having at your home. Mm, you well, need to get help. Yeah. That's assuming there are fathers in the home, which speaks to another aspect of, of the moral breakdown. Two real questions, Yako, that I, that I really want to ask. And the first, as we always talk about, is follow the money. Yeah. Uh, you just mm. referenced it. So the question, first question to you is, do we have any sense of how, I mean, you know, the estimates I've seen is 150 billion. That seems low to me in terms of, you know, industry numbers, in terms of the money that's really um, at play here. And the second mm -hmm. is, I think, a broader issue, because doesn't this really also speak down, forget about breakdown of the family. It's, it's another aspect to me of war, the war on religion or the breakdown oh, of sort of religious value. So Speak to both of those, both the money side of it, because I am a follow the money guy. If you want to understand something, follow the money. But we've also oh. had many episodes about the war on religion, both overt and covert in this country. Look, Scripture tells us the, the root of all evil is the love of money. Okay? So, mm -hmm. so always follow the money. Always. See, is a man for sale or not? And where would he compromise? At what number? Okay, the point number one. So follow the money. Yes, the recorded number is 150 billion, which, by the way, would put it in the top 10, top 10 percent of Fortune 500 companies on Wall Street, selling children and women for sex, by the way. Okay, and that's tax free. So if you really go in the tax free number, then they're probably in the top 50 and on, on, the, on, 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 you know, you know, the Fortune 500. So it's wow. a massive, massive industry. Now, many are complicit many are takers many are compromised in government so the money aspect is huge 
money transported even through general banking systems. Why are we not clamping down on JP Morgan, Morgan Stanley Chase? Why are we not telling them, hey, we want to know anybody on your registry that either has been convicted of a child sex crime is on a sex offender list. And we want to see what the flow of money is there. But they're looking at everything else you're doing because it's not a gun. Yeah, they want to. They want to see if you. Children are expendable to this country at the moment, right? It's diabolical. Mm. Now, now the second part of your question. um, Look, uh, um, I I want you to. I want you to consider this. When we look at money, and then we understand that money is a big indicator. But you look at the moral fall of a country, and Mm. an understanding that we are demanding this. Uh, and then down to numbers, the fastest growing form of sex trafficking in America, form, and there's many different forms. Kidnapping is one form, okay? And that's small. The fastest growing form is what's called familial trafficking. The, the, the National Institute for Shelter Care, I'm on their board, and this is all the shelters, the safe houses, just did a study, completed a study, a two-year study, and the study depicted this, that 25 to 47% of children are being sold for sex in America are sold on the hands of a caregiver, a family member, someone in the family, a coach, wow. someone they know. Why wow. is that so important? The child doesn't have to go missing. The child's oh, not wow. There's already built in trust. When you are sexually abused by someone you trust, it is infinitely more destructive than sexually abused by a stranger. That's an abomination. It's a that silencing is... mechanism. Our last four cases. Our last four cases, and we have a 17-year-old boy right now that was sold for sex for 14 years by his father and mother, and his dad is a child psychiatrist. He has access what? To two, yep, we're investigating right now. He has, he has access to 200 children a month. <gasps> okay, this is what's happening in America. This is system. why. This is why you're seeing mothers taking their children to a drag show. You're thinking, what kind of mother? Oh, my gosh. Most likely a mother that was sexually abused, that never got healing from it, right? That has no mm-hmm. understanding, that has lost her own rudder. This is not, this isn't plain sight. It's in front of people's eyes, and we can train them how to see it. So to think that, oh, it's Cambodia, and it's the Philippines, and it's off there, and it's just the border, it's next door. They don't Erica, like that. Okay. Hang on. Let me jump in. I want to come back to, is it inversely proportionate with the decline of religion? Let's call it the Judeo-Christian religions in this country, because it would seem to me to be a direct correlation. It it is directly tethered to it, and here's why. And thank you for reiterating that question. I knew I'd missed one. This is Genesis. Nothing is new on earth, says says the Lord, in the Word of God. Mm. We are fighting the exact battle, the exact battle that was fought in Genesis. Number one. Evil is so unimaginative that Satan is calling his movement pride, which is what, which, Absolutely. which, is, literally, which is literally what got the him seven deadly out of sins, heaven. seven deadly so sins, pride, pride right. got him kicked out of heaven. They call their movement pride. We're celebrating pride month. We're celebrating men riding their bicycles naked in front of children. We're celebrating uh, parent. We are not, but the country is right. Mm-hmm. Okay. So number one. And then God says what to Satan? God says what? He says, Eve, you will bear children in pain, and there will be Mm. enmity, war between you, Satan, Lucifer, and the offspring of Eve, her children. It's the same fight. 
Because here's wow. why. Satan understands that the greatest pain he can inflict on God's heart is to destroy a child. And you destroy a child when you sexualize him. Because he can't produce offspring. He can't stop the kingdom of God. Why do you think they ask? Come on, guys. Let's have a conversation here. War between Satan and the offspring of Eve. Okay. So what happens? Alfred Kimsey comes in the 50s. He sexualizes boys. He writes a sexual manifesto. Hugh Hefner is his understudy. It was an understudy of, of Kinsey. Hefner brings porn. They, they bring in, you know, Robert Maxwell. He co-ops mm-hmm. to Jeffrey Epstein. Right. And off we go. They ask you what? What is marriage? They didn't ask yep. you what is a woman first. They ask you what is marriage. They redefine marriage. Now we are what is a woman. Why? Because they're attacking the womb. Why? Satan hates procreation. He hates God's kingdom expanding through what? Through children. The innocent ones that God said, rather you put a millstone around your neck than then lead one of these astray. He doesn't even say rape. He just say, don't lead them astray. Why? This is how I rebuilt my legacy. I say to Americans, you like this country, then invest in the youth because it is the future of this country. Well, and I, so much of what, so often when we see the, the insanity that's going on, I, I've said to my husband probably 1,000 times, this feels like Eve in the garden all over again. 100%. Women got convinced that their greatest value is as an e- economic driver instead of as a homemaker. We told men that they are toxic and that they are dirtbags and to disrespect us. Women have been told that being a mother is a hindrance and your baby is a parasite. And we believe it. We got sold a Hugh Hefner and selling your body um, is empowerment instead of um, a travesty. Exactly. It's like, oh, my God, I, I, I feel like it's Eve in the garden all over again. Because it is. Because it is. Because Scripture tells you nothing is new. Now, praise God for the blood of Jesus Christ. Because mm. had Christ not come. Oh. And the stream and the audio only. Oh, no. Doctor, we're here, are you there? I am. Oh. Little technical difficulty. We can we, still hear you. We can still hear you, but we would I'm like. Here. I'm here. I'm okay. here. I don't know what happened. But, but think about it this way. Think about it this way. Nothing is new. Right. This yes. is a battle of this is a battle of good and evil. This is Eve in the garden, and Eve is being deceived. So, so what has to happen? The only thing for evil to exist, good men have to do nothing, right? So, what do you do? You tell the dad, emasculate hey, them. You tell the dad, you're not in the abortion conversation. You be silent, buddy. Okay, but he was fifty percent of the equation in conception. You needed his sperm, so he has a voice. Why? Because in Ezekiel thirty-three seven, God says the following: If the watchman the good guys, knows of evil and does not warn, then the blood committed by the sinners on the hands of the watch. We've got a lot All of blood right. on our hands in this country. Mm. Lots. So, 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 Yako, let me, let me segue a little bit because I know we're coming to our, the end of our time with you. And number one, most importantly, where can people, our listeners, reach you? Where can they get information uh, this is such important work that you're doing. We want to spread this one as much as we can just to raise the awareness level. Where can they reach you and where can they get information? And talk Thank about the much. movie that you mentioned too. Talk I will, about that yeah. Too. So, so the movie Sex Nation is a film. There's nothing controversial, exploitive individually, but there's hard facts. 
45 interviews with industry experts to really equip the American nuclear family to defend their family, their children, take this country back from a moral standpoint. Okay, number one, watch the movie. Go to sexnationfilm.com. Secondly, go to our website, helpjbm.org or yakuboyensministries.org. On that website, at the resource page, there's over 1,200 pieces of resource for the American family to safeguard their children, to protect their family, to have the right conversations, to know what curriculum should and should not be in school, to look at the 185 Mm. books that are currently in school that are sexualizing children, down to letters for your principal, how to speak to your congressman, your pastor, your youth pastor, how to go take back your school board from a moral standpoint. We arm parents with a tangible action item. I can do this today. And then Mm. if they need help, like a child says, hey, I've been exploited or I'm stuck in pornography, the help is there as well to help them. So take action, educate yourself, knowledge is power, and then right. move, do something tomorrow with this amazing program that, that the, the viewer is seeing now. Do something. It's not enough to know about it. Go educate yourself. And then the last thing I'll say is this. Stop abdicating our role to decide where this country goes, to government or to the church. Your mm. family, your family, God gave you as a father to steward. And if there's not a father in the family, mom in the community, you steward that family. Do not think that the school or society or the government holds your values. They do not. That was our grandfather's America. That America is not yep. the same today. They do not. And, 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 and lastly, one problem I had with the previous administration was this. And it was repeated on loop. And if you said it, I'm sorry, I don't mean to offend, but I'm just going to be real. How many times have you heard the statement, we're the silent majority? We're the silent mm. majority. That is the most idiotic thing I've ever heard in my life. Why is the majority silent? If the majority is silent, the tail wags the dog and you got kids exploited in the streets. That's what happens when the majority is silent. The the majority is silent because they have been beaten and cowed into silence by political correctness, starting with the Obama administration. And you and I can have this conversation offline because that's a huge (laughs) pet peeve with me. Yako, I will make you a promise. Uh, So we're also the American Coalition. Right. And our goal is to help restore America. And this, to me, is fundamental and a part of it. With your permission, yeah. and we can talk offline, we're going to put this link, the links up to your website on, on ours. And we're going please, to, we're going to, please. and we're, and we're going to create a section on human trafficking. And if you don't mind, we're going to just link them to the work you're doing because I can't think that we could do anything better than that, what you're already doing. It's an honor. Please, what's ours is yours. There, look, it's, remember, I told you, one child. We go one child at a time one at a time and so it's worth it and god we must at some point stand in front of god and he must say well done good and faithful Mm. servant with what i gave you and remember the freedom to be an american is a gift it's a gift it is a gift and we and we have to protect it and And by protecting it absolutely we must defend the innocent and the voiceless uh so thank you guys your your champions so appreciate you Thank you. Yako, and thank you we, for joining us. We do have about 30 seconds left. And Yako, would you just briefly share with our audience why you're so passionate about this particular conversation? Good. Yeah, 1994, I was 18 years old in South Africa. That year, my sister was 12. We were raised without a father, three siblings. I was the oldest. And that year, my sister was trafficked. Ilonka was trafficked. And nobody, nobody in 1994 spoke about human trafficking. And it took six years to get her back. 
And in that process, when Ilonka came back and I had to learn through her eyes what men had done to her and, and, and that that kind of an evil is real, God spoke and said, not another one. And we've been fighting since. So it's 28 years and she's in this fight as well. And God's redeemed her, but it was a process. She is in that film. Her testimony is in that film. This is real to us. It's firsthand because I really was the father figure. I was six years mm -hmm. older than my sibling and I was dad. And there was a lot of condemnation on my part. How could this happen on my watch? How did I not mm -hmm. know? But that's our story. And that's why I'm so passionate. Look, I will fight for the American children, even when their fathers won't. But I would love to see the dads step in here and help sure. the mama bears and fight this fight. Amen. Thank Amen. you. That's right. Yako, thank you so much for joining us. I hope you will come back as there's so much more we want to cover, but thank you so much for what is um, a, for some people should be a life-changing interview if they listen to this. Thank you. God bless you. Of course, back anytime you'll have me. Thank you. Thank you. Folks, you've been listening to Of The People with Robert Chernin and Erica Reddick. Erica Reddick. Yep, you too. We'll be right back. The politicians in Washington don't care about you. While they argue and bicker and do nothing, our country is falling apart. And our cherished freedoms, they're being stripped away one right at a time. It's time to do something about it. The American Center for Education and Knowledge is fighting back to restore America. Join us in our fight to defend American exceptionalism and defend the Constitution. Go to ASICFund.org to learn more. That's A-C-E-K-F-U-N-D dot O-R-G. Do it now. Hello, and welcome back to Of The People. I'm Robert Chernin, and we are thrilled, truly, to have with us New Hampshire GOP Chair Chris Ager to talk all things New Hampshire and presidential politics. Mr. Chairman, welcome to Of The People. Great, I'm happy to be here and thanks for having me on. Absolutely, and I introduce you to my lovely co-host, Erica Reddick as well. Say hello, Erica. Hello, Chairman Ager. Oh, nice to meet you, Erica. Yes, well, I we actually met briefly at a GOP event in New Hampshire last last year during the uh i think it was um one of the many events that you helped host in new hampshire for senatorial candidates and house candidates um and uh i just love that you that new hampshire our neighbor on the right side of the river uh, from Vermont has the first in the nation primary. Well, we, we take that responsibility very seriously. And uh, we were very welcoming to not only candidates, um, but interested Republicans uh, from other states, as well as the press. Uh, the press is very important uh, to make sure that we treat them properly so that they can convey the message uh, for what the candidates um, are doing and for what the, the reaction is of the people of New Hampshire. And I want to jump in on that first in the nation primary because a lot of people, obviously I'm a transplant from New Jersey, Mr. Chairman, and, you know, 
oh, you know, New Hampshire just wants to be first because, you know, first is best, right? So number one, have we set a date? And then number two, more importantly, dig into this a little bit for us. I mean, why is it so important mm. that New Hampshire's first? I mean, I think I know, but, you know, you are a, you know, you know, true New Hampshireite, and, and there really is something different about New Hampshire politics that makes New Hampshire going first, isn't that? I mean, would you mm. agree with that? I mean, what are your thoughts? Yeah. Well, the the date right now appears uh, that it will be January 23rd, uh, since the Iowa oh. uh, Republicans uh, have set January 15th as the caucus. And so with the January 15th caucus, um, we go a week later, a week and a day, uh, will be Tuesday the 23rd, most likely. And then South Carolina is February 3rd. The Democrats uh, put them February 3rd. So we worked with Iowa to determine the dates, and we kind of back backtracked from South Carolina um, to us so, being. So wait the a minute on the on the on the Democratic side. I read something recently that New Hampshire isn't first on the Democratic side. Well, the the thing is that the Democratic Party does not run the New Hampshire primary um, for the Democrats. The state runs the primary for both Republicans and Democrats on the same day. Right. And the, mm. the secretary of state by state law is the sole person responsible for setting the date. And the law says we have to be a week ahead of any similar um, type of uh, election. So right now we will go the 23rd, you know, ahead of South Carolina, uh, a week after Iowa. However, if Iowa Democrats decide to make their turn their caucus into a primary, then we'll go a week ahead of them, which would put us, you know, potentially uh, on January 8th. Wow. And so, wow. you know, we, we have a lot of flexibility because one person picks the date and we can turn around a, an election in just a few weeks. And so if somebody wants to you know, play chicken with our secretary of state, I don't think they can win because <laughs> we can print our ballots quickly and distribute them and vote. And we vote. We all have paper ballots. We can vote and we'll know the answer that night. So uh, I, I just think the Democrats, um, they're trying to protect Joe Biden. Uh, that's why they mm. want South Carolina first, because they know he cannot do retail politics. Um, our high school students here, we have an essay contest that's run now by a 501c4 on the value of the First Nation primary. And some of those essays are very good in articulating uh, the value, not only to New Hampshire, but to the country. And, you know, one analogy we've used is, you know, France in uh, 1876, they didn't give the Statue of Liberty to New York. They didn't, they gave it to America. And, mm -hmm. you know, what a fitting place, New York Harbor. It's a fitting location. And so New Hampshire, you know, we've had a hundred year tradition. Uh, we've been a very good caretaker of the primary um, and it, it allows candidates who don't have national name recognition or a ton of money. It gives them a chance to resonate. And if we were in a large state, the media would pick the winner, the media mm. or the, or the deep pockets yeah, in Wall yeah, Street. Ad dollars. The ad dollars. Yeah, they, they would pick. Right. They would pick the winner. Here, you have to come and talk to people, and it gives you a great chance to articulate a message, uh, to talk to individual people, to hear from average citizens what's happening, and it. We've done a pretty good job at it, uh, and we take it very seriously. And so, 
you know, there's a the conservative kind of viewpoint, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And it, it's in our culture. It's in our DNA. It's it's our state sport. And so the average person here takes it very, very seriously, very well educated on issues. And you take somebody like Vivek, uh, Vivek Ramaswamy, uh, for example, he came here February 7th, first time. Nobody knew who he was except a few people that were, um, you know, watched uh, Fox a lot. And uh, nobody, really, nobody knew him. He came in yeah. his first lecture, had 150 people, did uh, Q&A for 45 minutes, uh, stuck around all night. And that night is the first night he mentioned that he was looking at running for president. Um, and he talked to maybe out of the 150 people, about 100 of them individually. And, you know, you can do that here and actually make a difference. You know, if you're in a huge state, you can talk to 100 people and it may not make a difference here. It makes a difference because everybody knows somebody. They talk about it. It's in our newspaper, blogs, online, Facebook, social media, everywhere. Every day we're talking about presidential politics in this state. Well, I love that you articulated that so succinctly and so directly because like, you know, uh, you know, so many folks who are attacked uh, attacking the institution of the electoral college and who say oh we should just have a direct democracy we shouldn't be a representative republic the whole point of the electoral college is that we are 50 united states of america it's not you know because if if all presidential politics was uh, about the numbers about raw numbers they literally would just have to go to the big states like new york or like california where they have these giant population centers that can turn the tides without the little guy really having an opportunity to speak yeah, it's, it's a brilliant system that, that our founders set up. And, you know, the big states do have more of a say when it comes to the Electoral College. You know, they, they have a lot more Electoral College votes. Um, but you mm. can't ignore the small states. Um, yep. So I, I think right. it's brilliant. And, and then the first in the nation uh, primary, you know, we're very proud of it. We're very, very protective of it. Um, but that also comes with responsibility. We have to treat mm. the, the candidates um, equally with an opportunity to talk to people. Now, we can't guarantee, a, we're not going to guarantee a crowd size or, mm. you know, the type of coverage somebody gets, but we will make the venues available to everyone. And right now we have 13 candidates that uh, the state party has given little booklets to that say, hey, here's all the points of contact. Here's venues. Wow. Here's manufacturing places that are friendly to visitors. Uh, here's essays from high school kids on the First Nation primary, the 100-year history. We have every single primary for the last 100 years, a summary. Um, and we compile all that for these campaign teams, and we give one to each each of the teams. And today we just got, I think uh, it's Pastor Brinkley out of Texas. They called and said, hey, um, you know, we're coming up next week. We're running. And I'm like, okay, great. Um, would you like me to send you a welcome packet with all these points of contact, the entire Republican establishment, uh, infrastructure, um, all the county chairmen, their, their cell phones, home addresses, emails, um, because we want to make it easy for them to get their message out. Then it's up to them and the voters as to whether they're going to resonate with the message, but we want to make I it all it. available to them. So um, it's also a cheap 
cheaper media market. So even if mm. you're not a big candidate with deep pockets, uh, you can kind of get your message out and see if people resonate. Um, I think if you go back to, you know, on the Democrat side, Bill Clinton and Jimmy Carter, really nobody knew who they were when they started, even though they were governors. Right. Um, and Bill Clinton, you know, he was the comeback kid here. So some Republicans would argue, man, maybe that's a bad idea having the primary. <laughs> but um, it's, it's fair on both sides. Uh, give people a chance to get the message out and then let the voters decide uh, and go from there. I really am concerned about big media, big social media picking the winners if it's a big state. Here, social media, um, they can try to twist things. But, I mean, I've met every single one of these candidates except for one. So 12 out of 13. And a lot of people in this state get to see them with their own eyes if they want to. So the mm. filter is gone. So if the media is like, we're afraid of this Republican, everything we put out is going to be negative. We're going to try to beat them down. We can say, hey, no, I saw them with my own eyes. What, you're, what they're saying is not right. And so you get rid of that filter. And so I mm. think that's a... a big value for a small state. And unlike Iowa, they have 99 counties. We have 10. I mean, I've driven to the, I mean, I live in the southernmost county near the Massachusetts border. I can drive up to the Canadian border county, Coas County. I can drive up there for a dinner meeting, have the meeting and drive back home to be in bed. So it, mm -hmm. the state is not that big. Yeah, it's roughly the size of Vermont. You know, we're about the same size. Um, but it's it's easy to travel around. It's easy to talk to people. And people are genuinely interested in every single candidate, um, even people that we've never heard of before. And I'll just bring up Perry Johnson as an example. Virtually no one had heard of Perry Johnson, even though he had, um, you know, he's an accomplished businessman um, out of Michigan. But nobody heard of him. Um, but he, he hosted town hall and uh, he went out to dinner with people and people said, I don't know who he is, but I'd like to know if he's running for president. So people show up to hear him. Um, it's just, a, it's a great, it's a great venue for that. The state is a great venue for that. Yeah. And, and New Hampshire, I take their politics very seriously, you know, coming from New Jersey, which I affectionately call Tammany Hall Redux. It's all about the machine. There's no machine here. It's retail politicking belly to belly at its best, which, which is one of the things I have come to really enjoy and like about New Hampshire. Mm. I, one of the questions, Mr. Chairman, that I did want to ask you about, you know, we have an open primary here. Are you, are you concerned at all about um, any mischief, shall we say, on the Democratic side to, to, to skew the, you know, the primary process? That's always a concern because obviously there's no one going to run on the, de on the Democratic side other than, I mean, I, my personal opinion is that President Biden will not be the nominee, but whoever it is, they're not going to allow debates. They're not going to allow an open primary. So there will be plenty of Democrats who could cross over in the primaries, correct, to vote on the Republican side? Um, it, what The way the law is, is um, if you're a registered Democrat or Republican, um, I think it's the week before filing period, so next June, then you have right. to vote in that primary. But if you're mm. undeclared, which 40% of our electorate is, then you can show up on election day and decide which ballot you want. So mm. it, is it possible that that Democrats who are actually undeclared could say, let me get a Republican ballot and try to skew it? That's possible. Um, I think um, I'm not as concerned about it as some folks. 
because if I was a Democrat undeclared, I'd be really worried about Joe Biden losing New Hampshire uh, to mm. RFK Jr. So I'd be right. more likely to yeah. want to, to write in Joe Biden. He won't be on our ballot uh, because if you embarrass President Biden, he loses New Hampshire primary to RFK Jr. That will be the headline. I think that'll be a bigger headline than whoever wins the New Hampshire primary on the Republican side. So I think they have a motive to want to vote in their primary. Um, four years ago, when President Trump was essentially uncontested in New Hampshire on the Republican side, we still had a record turnout of Republicans who voted for Donald Trump. And so people want to get have their candidate go with momentum. So I think the, the mm. potential for the Democrats to not vote for a Democrat and try to disrupt our election, it would backfire on them and it would hurt their candidate because it would be Joe Biden supporters who would do that and they would help RFK Jr. Even if he didn't win, they'd help his numbers increase, which would embarrass and hurt their candidate. So it's kind of a double-edged sword. Uh, I'm not as worried about it. And the other thing, um, some Republicans wanted us to close our primary to Republicans only. And the concern there is, is 40% of plurality of our voters are undeclared. We don't want to push them away. We need to win them um, in mm. the general election. So I would much prefer them to pull a Republican ballot in the primary and get used to voting for Republicans. So it's, um, it is an issue of contention, and, and there are legitimate concerns and arguments on both sides. Uh, but at this point, I'm, I'm in favor of Republicans keeping our primary open to undeclareds, especially if the Democrats uh, keep allowing undeclareds. I would hate to push those people away from us. Now, if they took... If they said both primaries were closed, only Democrats could go Democrat and only Republicans could vote Republican, I think that would be a different story. But if we did it unilaterally, I think it would hurt us. And and that makes sense. I mean, you know, speaking of the comeback kid, as I recall, uh, Clinton finished second in New Correct. Hampshire, not first. So I think you may have a point here. If RFK finished even a close second in New Hampshire or, or you know, I mean, it's all about beating expectations right uh if, if he, d he beat the expectations or the spread um i think you're right maybe biden does have a problem so so you said you've met all the candidates except one um i know you can't you know you are agnostic right or or not endorsing anyone but give us your sense of the presidential race as it's currently uh, unfolded anyone exceeding expectations anyone not i mean, mm, I, mean, good question. I mean what what yeah what's what's your take on where we are so yeah. far in the dog days of summer given everyone who's been through the state yeah yeah so, what okay. are you hearing from your constituency is there at more excitement i mean obviously donald trump is the front runner but who is like close second third who's who's kind of like the the dark horse that's going to be coming up from behind you think so I, um, you know, some of the impressions that, because um, I don't have opinions on these, but I can relay other people's <laughs> opinions and what I see and hear. <laughs> so um, it's one thing that's been um, kind of head turning is that Donald Trump has actually been doing some retail, which, you know, is kind of unusual because he's used to going to stadiums full of 50,000 people, not shaking individual hands as much. But when he came up for, for a luncheon, last month, um, he went to his headquarters and there were several hundred people outside. And, you know, Secret Service is like, okay, you just go inside, do the photo ops and leave, stay behind the line. He didn't. He waited through the crowd, shaking hands. 
And if there was a baby, a baby there, I'm sure he would have kissed it. But he was going <laughs> classic retail, which was kind of different, which tells me that that he's very serious about um, about New Hampshire. Um, and that was the was that the lilac breakfast for the National Federation of Republican yes. Women? Yes, it was their luncheon. Yes. Got um, it. That, got it. That same day, Ron DeSantis, uh, Governor DeSantis was down the street, you know, about an hour away. And he did a town hall. And if you looked at the press reports after and, and you were there, you'd be like, wait a minute, uh, this is a different, were they at the same meeting I was at? It, it appears that the media is everything Ron DeSantis does. They put a negative spin to it. It mm, just there's looks. A there's, there's a shock. Yeah, it's shocking, right? It, exactly. They are. It, so some people have speculated who have been to events and then they watch the, the coverage, not the local coverage. Local coverage is pretty fair. The mm. national coverage, and I don't even think it's the reporters, it's the editors, you know, in Washington mm. or New York. Um, but, but, when Ron DeSantis um, works a crowd, I mean, I've seen him twice for like 45 minutes at our Amos Tuck dinner and then at, uh, at a town hall. Walking through the crowd, shaking hands, he's very comfortable, very engaging. But if you look mm -hmm. at the media reports, you go, wait a minute. It look, They say he's cold like a fish and he's not black. And I'm like, wait a minute. That, that's, it's, it, it's not the same as what you're seeing. So I think that's an observation where New Hampshire people, when they vote, it could be different than the way it's portrayed or the polls even. So I think we may see something there. Um, Vivek Ramaswamy has a lot of people turning heads because he's so articulate. Um, they like uh, the way he delivers his message. And at the same time, people want to get a second look. It's like, oh, he sounds good up front. But in New Hampshire, that's not good enough. It's like, wait a minute, let me mm. check the next level. You know, what's your experience? Can you run a big organization? You know, what's your... You know, what's your resume behind giving a great speech? And uh, one quote I've heard, which is one of my favorites, is, um, you know, if, if you had a great Republican speech writer and you gave a great speech, Alec Baldwin could give it, right? He could give a great speech, but I'm not going to vote for him just because he gave a great speech <laughs> that somebody wrote. I, I want to take a look behind, you know, look under the cur you know, under the hood. He's you know, a little liberal back. for me. Yeah. Make, make sure that, that there's not, you know. It's, it's not the Wizard of Oz back there. Somebody, but, um, so there's another second look. Everybody's getting kind of a second look. Um, mm. After those, you know, yeah, who's, Trump, who's, who surprised you? Aramaswamy has surprised me the most. Okay. Just because um, a lot of people never heard of him, and now he's drawing some pretty big crowds, and he's very mm. engaging. Um, a lot of people like Tim Scott and Nikki Haley also, both from South Carolina. Um, yep. They're not getting the big headlines, front page splashes, but um, but a lot of people like them. And a real mm. sleeper that nobody ever heard of was uh, Governor uh, Doug Burgum uh, from North Dakota. And uh, nobody ever heard of him, really. I mean, it's like... Including, uh, half, either, of, uh, including either of us, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of, Full well, disclosure. A lot, a lot of people don't even uh, know where North Dakota is, but... Um, it is one of the states, and I've been there. So um, <laughs> he, he's out there doing retail. He's doing house parties, you know, 20, oh. 30 people. He walked in um, several parades on the 4th of July. And, you know, he's a um, self-made uh, billionaire, grew up on a farm, um, tells stories about scooping out the chicken, you know, a coop, 
um, you know, and shoveling manure and, and tossing hay. I think the town he grew up in, there were 340 people. So that's like real America, um, farm boy, now governor billionaire running for president. It's a great story. And um, right. he's got a, a very engaging family as well. Um, so you look at the whole field and you go, wow, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of interesting people in there with different backgrounds, but all of them have the same Republican, you know, low taxes, fight crime, you know, take care of the border. You know, it, it's it's kind of refreshing. You say, yeah, I would love any of these people to be in the White House over mm. any of the Democrats, any one of them. Yeah, we, so, we have a good we have a good bench. You know, the, one more question before we let you go, if you don't mind. I want to shift to New Hampshire politics for a second. Right. What most people don't know is, you know, our House of Representatives, right, has 400 members. We are the second largest uh, deliberative body in the country behind the Congress at 435. Most people don't know that. But I know that while the Republicans control the House, it's close. And there are three special elections coming up to fill vacant <gasps> seats, correct, in New Hampshire? Ooh. So let, can we talk a little bit about sort sure. of New Hampshire politics and sure. what we're doing in those special elections and what the listeners need to be aware of for that? Oh, yeah. Uh, let me go top to bottom. In New England, there are 33 federal seats 32 of them are Democrats or independent-leaning Democrats like Bernie Sanders. Right. 32 out of 33. The one Republican is Susan Collins. So we live in a tough neighborhood for Republicans. Every state house is owned by the Democrats from Maryland to Maine, including Pennsylvania and New York, except for New Hampshire, which has a House and Senate, are both Republican. And we have a Republican governor, as Vermont does. The rest are all Democrats. So we live in a tough neighborhood. We own the Senate 14 to 10. We're in pretty good hands there. The House is 199 Republicans, 196 Democrats, three special wow. elections, and two independents. Independents split one and one. So it's 200 to 197, three special elections. If the Democrats win all three, it's a tie and we lose our advantage on any of the committees. Like the Finance Committee now, we have a one-vote margin. If we lose that, every committee will be 50-50. So we essentially will be will be deadlocked. And, and what's the district number? I don't know the district number. It's uh, Nottingham Northwood. Uh, it's okay. two towns, and um, there's a primary, and uh, the primary I think is August first, and then the election is September, either thirteenth or eighteenth. Um, so it's no, I think it's September nineteenth actually. Um, but um, we'll be reminding everybody in that district. Uh, to get out there and vote and it, it will determine who's in control of the house so folks if you're listening and you're in is it northwood and nottingham correct make sure you get out and vote and mr chairman first of all we want to thank you for taking the time to join us we know that you're probably uber busy if people want to reach you directly how do they contact you yeah so the best way is um, um the easiest way is go to the the, the our website nh.gop but if you just type in NHGOP, it's the first thing that comes up. And there's, and there's a contact um, link there that has an email and a phone number. So that's the easy way. NHGOP, type it in on the, any browser, and that's the first thing that comes up is our website. Got it. Perfect. And hopefully as the primary season rolls along, we maybe we can entice you to come back with some updates along the way because yes. New Hampshire presidential politics is really where it's at, folks. So we'll do folks, you've been listening to Chairman Chris Ager of New Hampshire GOP 
I'm Robert Chernin with Erica Reddick of The People. Thanks for being with us. We'll see you next week. <laughs>